Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, August 27th. The wait is finally over. The first day of the 2019 U.S. Open finally in the books. 32 matches on the men's side, 32 matches on the women's side, tons of fun results to talk about. Joining me to do just that, he is a staple when it comes Grand Slam time. You know him and I are going to get on this podcast together as much as possible. A former four-star recruit on TennisRecruiting.net, his younger brother Nick Stokowiak, a superstar at Duke Men's Tennis, and of course, we affectionately refer to this man as Matt the Crack Stokowiak. Matty, welcome back to the Mini Break Pod. Oh, Gruskin, you know what time it is, buddy. I am oh. ready to go. I'm fired up. Guess how many Mountain Dews I've had today? <laughs> More than Rilo Pelka has had Red Bull. Yes, yes, that is a fact. <laughs> that is a fact. So, I'm fired so up, what's man. Today? If it's first day Grand Slam, I feel like that's a four Red Bull day. Or four Mountain Dew day. Ooh, you, you're going to have to take the over on that, man. Oh, no, that is possible. Or, Matt, you are effing crazy. <laughs> I cannot believe. Are you serious? Over four Mountain Dews in one? Okay. I pro- you are going to have to take the over on that, man. I probably hit, you know, four chocolate chip cookies at least a day, but four Mountain Dews I could not handle. But listeners don't want to hear about Mountain Dews. They may want to hear about cookies. In fact, it may get them hungry, and this will be a great podcast for you to snack on as you're watching the Day 2 action transpire. Of course, we are going to preview Day 2 play a little game of uh, Possible or Alex, you're effing crazy like we always do when Matt comes on. But the first thing we have to talk about, our day one in the books, a ton of great results in the the queue for us. We have men's matches to talk, women's matches to talk, upsets galore, five-set thrillers. But the place you and I have to start, Matt, this is a guy near and dear to our heart, a match that a lot of people, it's not, you know, I like to pride ourselves. I thought throughout this day our GSP previews of the men's and women's side held up particularly well because, you know, we emphasized this point yesterday. Riley Opelka's matchup with number 11 seed Fabio Fognini, one of the biggest on up, you know, one of the biggest upset alert threats probably when the draw first came out on Thursday that everyone was circling. Opelka at Wimbledon takes out Stan Wawrinka earlier this year at the Australian Open. He took out John Isner this year. There just seems to be something about the three out of five set format that really fits his game. And look, coming into today's match against Fognini, as I mentioned, not that he was the favorite, but people expected this sort of level out of him, and he completely delivered, taking home a 6-3, 6-4, 6-7, 6-3 victory. Uh, We'll talk about how that match breaks down, but in general, Matt, what did you think of Riley today? Oh, I thought he was awesome, man. I mean, really only one tiebreaker? I mean, out of four sets? That's That goes to show you his returns were on point today, man. He got a can couple— I, Can I just—I don't mean to cut you off, but one tiebreaker that he lost, and he still wins the match. Exactly. Yes. Great point. I mean, his returns were on point today, and he, he got those early breaks in the first and second sets, and he just—he wrote them out. Obviously, in that third set, you know, he had a match point there. Uh, he was up. He could have won that thing in straights. But, I mean, the way that he responded in the fourth was so impressive because at times we've seen Riley get a little upset. He can get frustrated on court, loses cool just a bit. I mean, nothing too crazy, but he responded, man, and played a great fourth set. Overall, I have to say, I was super impressed. And, you know, this was a match, like you mentioned, that was on upset alert. But but still, to come out and, and take out Fognini like that, big time, big time. Especially given Riley's past of 
he's a character on court. You know, he's very animated. He yes. likes to let the crowd know how he's feeling, whether it's, you know, talking a lot or after the opponent hits a winner saying what he did wrong or what the opponent did right or all of these different little commentaries that as a young player, as anyone who's been on a tennis court, that sort of narrative happens to all of us, you know, when you start talking and lose your composure. And for him to not only, you know, have a match point, end up losing that third set, but also he served for the match at 6-5 in the third set. He was also up a break earlier in that third set. He was really in control throughout this match. He didn't go away. He didn't falter. And mentally, that is such a big step for a young player to play. Even though we've seen Riley knock out seeds in the first round before, this reinforces that Riley Opelka is a threat. And you look at the things he does well that are so translatable, 58 winners against only 34 unforced errors now. 26 of those 58 winners were aces. But you look at where the rest of his success comes from. 16 of 28 at the net. When he hit the big serve, he'd followed the approach. He'd move forward. He knew he couldn't let Fognini dictate at all from the baseline because when Fognini was able to come back at the end of those third sets, it was when he could just get the turn, uh, the, his return past the service line, use his return to get the point back at neutral. I think Riley struggled a bit when points were at neutral. Though Fabio Fognini, you know, top 15 player in the world, that sort of struggle for someone Riley's age and experience level makes sense. But Riley was just relentless. 5 of 15 on break points versus Fognini's 2 of 17. He holds Fognini to 24 of 49 on the second serve. And that's the big thing, right? As you mentioned, Riley knows. I, uh, I'm speaking about him, Riley. I think he, it was very clear he had a game plan. Go after the return. Play big tennis. And when you're winner to unforced error ratio, 58 to 34, you succeeded. Exactly. And you know what? I mean... To be honest, Gruskin, I mean, when you can serve the way that he can, you kind of have that luxury a little bit where you can free up on some of those return games and go for it. And he he did that perfectly. I mean, he just he played smart overall. We knew this was upset alert. Um, But again, to me, it's not shocking. In fact, I, I saw this one possibly coming. I mean, it's definitely no surprise because we know that at minimum, we were probably going to see a lot of tiebreakers. That didn't happen, only one in four sets that were played. But that's kind of maybe what we thought might have happened. And look, if he gets hot in those tiebreakers, you know, he could win this match. It just so happened that he won it by breaking serve in the first and second sets and then riding it out. I mean, it, it, it the match didn't go in the fashion that I thought it would go. But man, I mean... <laughs> credit to Riley for that. He did what he had to do. And now I, I think his draw really opens up, man. It's going to be interesting to see where he goes the rest of the, the open. And that's a subject we will get yep. to later in possible or Alex, you're effing crazy. But just quickly on Fondini, there was talks he was injured before this. You know, he's played sporadically since Wimbledon. He played a little on clay. He played a little bit on the hard courts. And you know, not to take anything away, you know, there's a reason we're focusing on Riley, but certainly Fabio Fognini did not play his best tennis in this match. He only makes 70, uh, 55% of his first serves. Excuse me, that's never going to get the job done. You know, 48 winners against 38 unforced errors is okay, but when you're playing someone like Riley Opelka, that margin should definitely be a little bit higher. You should not be making unforced errors. You've got to make Riley play. But for Riley, again, 
the biggest takeaways from this is how much better he can still get. He only made 57% of his first serves. He won 79% of those points. He won 58% of his second serve points. But 57 is, you know, that's not a number that's going to get the job done against a Roger Federer. And you think when you watch Riley Opelka, given his body size, again, we've repeated it every time we talk, he's seven feet tall. The serve is always something he's going to get better and better at. And that's why I continue to say, Maddie, he's the American male with the best shot at winning a slam because that upside, it doesn't matter if he's playing the number 100 or the number one player in the world. When he serves well, the match will always be on his racket. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt about it. I, I don't know if I can go as far as to say he, you know, he'll win a slam before any of the other guys. You might be right, um, but I mean, you you said it, man. With the serve, I mean, he just makes players uncomfortable on court. I think Fognini, you know, you mentioned that he didn't play his best. Absolutely not. He definitely didn't. But I think that's because Riley just when you step on that court, you're like, man. It's an odd match. It's it's just. And Fognini is the type of guy who will get frustrated at that. Yes, exactly. So I think Riley took him out of his game. Fognini was never comfortable, which mm-hmm. you really can't be when that serve is coming at you. Mm-hmm. And and so yeah, this this went as as perfectly as I could have really expected it to for Opelka, other than that third set where we did have some opportunities to close it out. That didn't happen, but you know what? I'm going to let that slide because of the way that he responded in the fourth. That's why it's going to be so fun to watch him throughout this tournament because, as we mentioned, not only is his draw open, but he has the opportunity to play even better. And, it, you know, if he's playing better than beating the number 11 player in the world, not that Fabio Fognini is the best hardcore player in the world, but still. He's good, that though. Ups- yeah, that upside is absolutely tremendous. And speaking of someone who must be thinking about their upside after a poor first round performance let's transition to our next match a player who came in uh, coming into this major hasn't had a great post Wimbledon but you look at her through the first you know three quarters of the season probably the best player on the WTA I of course am talking about 2019 French Open champion and number two seed Ashley Barty who uh, who ends up scraping out against Zarina Diaz a 1-6-6-3-6-2 victory in her first round match but the reason I want to talk about this, Matt, I know you're a lover of seeds in a draw, but I feel like it's very common. You look at Ashley Barty, quarterfinalist at the Australian Open, the Miami uh, Premier Mandatory Champion. Her pedigree on hard courts, plus the fact that she made you know round of 16 Wimbledon, uh, quarterfinals Australian, and won the French Open, so she's been good at the slams as well. She enters as a prohibitive favorite, and for her to struggle was not what I expected at all. Yeah, this this was a bit alarming. I mean, that first set, that, I mean, if, if this match would have gone the other way, that was a total bracket buster. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know anybody that, that had Barty on upset alert in this match. I just don't. I mean, everybody that I talked to, this, I think, was a solid, solid favorite coming into this one. That first set was just a clunker, man. I mean, she just didn't really show up in that first set. I don't know. I saw her last week. She played an exhibition match against Coco Goff in Winston-Salem. Uh, I mean, she ended up losing that match in a third set match tiebreaker. I, I don't really care about that. But it, I don't know, man. It, it's just like she she just didn't get the engine rolling uh, until that second set. And, you know, once once she found her game, she was able to win that match 3-2, and two, which is about what I expected the score to be you know, without that first set in there. So, I mean, she she was able to right the ship, but but just in time. I mean, you never know when you drop that first set, especially on the women's side, only two out of three. You never really know what can happen. So she escaped one here. 
Well, let's look at the biggest thing. In that, for the match, she goes 30 of 69 on first yep. serves. That's a 43% first serve percentage. That will never nope. cut it. For the match, 27 of 36 winner to unforced error. Obviously, that's getting away with one that she's able to win. But in particular, you talk about not showing up for that first set. She was 6 of 24 on first serves in the first set. Five winners against 19 unforced, unforced errors. Forced errors, forced errors, forced errors. So, so again, yeah. she is 27 over the next two sets, but 5 to 19 un- winner to unforced error ratio in that first set. I agree with you. She just did not have it. And look, Diaz in this match, she was 6 of 13 in total for the match, 2 of 3 in that first set. I don't think they included the swinging volley she hit because whenever Ashley Barty turned to the backhand slice, Diaz that first set, attack, attack, attack. She took time away from Barty, kept her on the defensive, and look, We've talked all year long how many skills Ashley Barty has that she's able to play aggressive with a, with a two-handed backhand, but also work in the slice, work her way forward. It's why she had so much success this year. But Diaz kind of exposed a little bit of, look, if you can get Barty pressured on the backhand side, she's going to turn to the slice. And if you're very disciplined and can attack that ball, and look, the way Barty was able to come back, obviously it's much, much easier said than done. But Ashley Barty felt I, she just hasn't played that well. Her topsy-turvy week in Cincy where I think she lost three straight first sets before ultimately winning matches. Uh, you can just see when you're watching her play. This is an eye test thing. She doesn't look that comfortable right now on court. And given what she has to as like to fall back on in 2019, that's shocking to me. Yeah, because she was looking so good at the beginning of the year, right? I mean, obviously, really this whole year. I mean, she's had a fantastic year. Um, but, but yeah, she just doesn't look quite the same right now, but you know what, Gruskin, this is kind of one of those matches I I feel like could, she was able to sneak it out, right? And now all of a sudden, if she can just loosen up a bit and go, okay, I escaped one there, maybe she can just start to play a little bit better and make her way through this draw. I feel like this could be one of those matches that we look back and be like, she was that close to being out of the tournament. But now she's making a deep run in the second week of the U.S. Open or something like that. You know, I don't know, but I'm just saying it could be one of those situations, and I wouldn't be surprised if her game got better and better. I don't think anyone doubts her ability to not only make the second week, but bring home the title in New York. She has showed that high of a level, and I'm glad you bring up the draw because you look at it for her. Now she has Lauren Davis, the American who, you know, uh, not to be rude, but just not the biggest player, doesn't have these huge weapons. Incredibly relentless, right? Right. Ashley Barty is going to have to put points away, much like she did against Diaz, who in this match only had eight winners against 32 unforced errors, right? The match is going to be on Barty's racket. But she's going to be, you know, sin- uh, sincerely tested. It's going to be a tough match. And then in that third round, that she gets potentially uh, Sakari, the seed in the section, who she beat 5 7, 6 2, 6 0 in a topsy turvy Cincinnati quarterfinal. Those sorts of things, I agree with you, I think matchup-wise help her and that she weathered the storm in this one. Because you always get one in a major, right? You can, If right. you're going to win a major, you're always going to have one match you have to survive. And ideally, you want it to be in the first round. And yep. the best, as you mentioned, get better as the tournament progresses. And she has that pedigree. She knows what she needs to do to turn it on, get ready for week two of major in 2019. The question is, will she be able to do it? 
Yeah, it's going to be fun to watch, man. I mean, obviously, I'm a big fan of her game. I love that that variety that she has in her game. So I'm always interested to watch her play because I think it brings, you know, something fresh to the WTA Tour. She's different than a lot of players on that tour. And, yeah, I mean, that draw, man, I, I like her chances against those next couple of rounds, those players that you mentioned. So I, I think I think she can put this one behind her and, and move on and, and go pretty deep. Yeah, I completely agree with you. She's always someone to circle. I think I have her in my, I want to say, I think I have her semifinals losing or quarterfinals to Madison Keys whenever she plays her in my tourneytopia. But I think I said then, as I say now, I reserve the right to flip that pick because <laughs> Ashley Barty has been that good. In my opinion, the best well, player. Well, and you always reserve the right to flip your picks. It's part of my charm, right? Exactly. Yeah, so a good host knows how to back out of a bad take. Um, But with that, (laughs) let me back out of this into our transition into our next match. Uh, We'll flip back to the men's side here. And as listeners of our Cracked Rackets products know, we are huge proponents of college tennis. Matt Stokowiak in particular is one of my favorite guests to turn to in the Cracked Rackets universe when it's time to talk college tennis. And by the way, Maddie, that season is sneaking up upon us. Oh, yes. And we have a fun little uh, Best Teams of the 21st Century podcast plan. There's a little tease for you guys later, and I'm excited to hear Matt's takes on that. But someone who is certainly circled as a potential impact, maybe the guy potentially in the 2020 men's college season, incoming Baylor freshman Jensen Brooksby, who was kind enough to come on the Cracked Interview podcast with us last week after his first-round qualifying match win. Obviously, since then, two more wins, and then he comes into this main draw first-round matchup against Tomas Burdich and look Burdich is not the Burdich of 2009 to 2011 this isn't prime him he has a bad hip Uh, obviously he hasn't played that much in 2019 and when he's played he's you know suffered some bad losses but for Jensen Brooksby after his performance last year winning Kalamazoo getting a main draw wild card did not light the world on fire at all in his first round loss to come back to the U.S. Open win three qualifying matches regroup with all after all the hoopla are you going to college are you not going to college and win his first round match 6-1-2-6-6-4-6-4 I hate to say it but that's a professional level maturity Oh, no question about it, man. I was very excited to see this result. And really, when the draw came out, I was very excited for Jensen when I saw that he drew Thomas Burdick because, you know, like you mentioned, Alex, Burdick is just not the player that we we remember from years ago when he was a perennial top 10 player. He could give those top guys so much trouble. But he's just not there, man. He's not healthy. He he was not playing well today. He wasn't moving well. He wasn't serving well. There was a lot that wasn't going right for him. But that doesn't take away from Jensen, man, because like you mentioned, he had been in this position a year ago and did not show out. I didn't know as confident as I was in him, you know, when I saw this matchup, I still didn't know for sure, right, what he was going to be able to do under the bright lights, main draw, U.S. Open. It's a big deal. And, you know, he comes out and wins that first set 6-1 in 25 minutes. And I was like, wow, okay, this is a whole different player from a year ago. Um, yeah, it's awesome, man. And I just have to say, I mean, I'll go on the record right now. I have not talked to Jensen. I don't know anything about this whatsoever. But in my opinion, I would be floored, completely shocked if we saw him at Baylor, uh, ne- you know, next semester. I, I just... I can't see it happening at this point right now with with the results that he's had. 
and that's just me speaking. I don't I don't know anything, but I would just be shocked if we saw him at Baylor. I just I don't think it's gonna happen. To my friend, the head coach of the Baylor men's tennis team, Brian Boland, who I know is a listener of this podcast, to Jensen Brooksby, who, you know, we want you to focus on this run, stay in the moment, don't get sidetracked by should you, should you not go to college, worry about that after you see that nice second round payment uh, that you get for this sort of result. But yeah, let's spend 30 seconds talking about this. I think Chris Hallior said it best. He goes from a 50K paycheck to a 100K paycheck if your goal is to eventually go pro. No f***ing way you turn down that thank, money. Thank like, you. I'm sorry, but that's just common sense. I agree with you. And look, I have talked to Jensen. We talked to him, as I mentioned, for the Cracked Interviews, and he's been kind enough to respond to some of my texts. And he's serious when he says he's staying in the moment. He needs, you know, he cannot allow himself to be distracted by a decision I like know. that. And that makes a lot of sense. Uh, the mature move, as we keep saying, yes. that is a mature move by him. But it, be, you know, the facts speak for themselves. And you know, the Baylor program, college tennis as a pathway to the pros, all of these different things we've litigated before. But at a certain point, it comes down to: Are you ranked high enough? Do you have the money to do it? And with this sort of result, both of those check marks awfully close to being fulfilled. Well, and and you used a word that I really like there, Gruskin. You said maturity. And, and I think in order to make a decision like that, whether to go to college or turn professional, I think, I think maturity has a lot to do with that. And Jensen Brooksby, to me, seems like he's a very mature guy for his age. He just looks like it on the court. This guy's smart. He knows what he's doing. You can tell in his play and just off the court as well. I think when the time comes, you know, he will make the right decision that's best for him when that time comes. And, and, you know, we'll leave it at that. But, I mean, as far as his match today, he was just so solid, man, against Burdick. I mean, he moves well. He keeps coming at you. He's solid off both wings. I mean, it's just, it was a tough match for Thomas Burdick to play. And, uh, you know, four sets, four solid sets. We'll see, uh, we'll see what Jensen can do. Look, for one of October's very own, uh, he's born October 26, 2000, five years after me. Holy <laughs> that's crazy. Um, but he looks every bit the part. He's 6'2", 180, yep. listed, or at least listed on the U.S., and he looks like that. As you mentioned, just so fundamentally sound on both the forehand and the backhand side. It's not that he necessarily pops the ball any harder than you've ever seen oh, before. Right. But he's just—it's it's funny because him and Colin Altamirano have the same coach. And as a guy who's watched a ton of Colin, the way they move the ball side to side just have such a natural feel on the court when they should go where and you know what speed it should be at. He didn't dominate at the net, but for Brooksby, 11 of 17, he not only knew when to move Burdich, who's struggling movement-wise side to side, but he also knew when to come in and look— 56 of 95 for Brooksby, 59% of the first serve. That's got to get better, but that he's winning 77% of his first serve points and his first serve average for the match in terms of speed is 101 miles per hour. That means he's placing the ball well. He's hitting the right first ball after it. And that these are all the signs. Again, Burdich isn't great, but given the name, given the circumstances for him, all the hoopla off the court of if I yeah. win, can I get the money? Great win for him. Exactly. It's just, it's like you mentioned, and all of that stuff surrounding, I mean, I can't even imagine what goes into playing a main draw match at the U.S. Open. I mean, you've got outsiders talking about it. You've got to worry about Thomas Burdick, who's a perennial, you know, a former perennial top 10 player that obviously you're aware has been in this situation so many times throughout his career. 
in New York with the crowd there. I mean, he just he handled it so so well, and I'm I'm really happy for him. I completely agree. And look again, we I'm sorry we had to bring it up, but we are huge fans of Jensen Brooksby. It's just inevitable. He gets asked about it all the time. Maybe you know yeah. press back off now. I, I think he's made his point clear. Let's give him a breath. Uh, but it it would make sense if he turns pro. That certainly sounds like something. Uh, he's earned the right to do, I guess. I just, to, to the Baylor he, fans he out there, yeah, exactly. To the Baylor fans out there, this kid, he's rocked. Like, that's just, that when you rock, you go pro. And he's ready. You yep. know, when Ballmer was ready, he's earned it. when Bill Gates was ready, they went pro. And it's not that level, but he's ready to go pro. Uh, but speaking of someone else who's going to go pro, and we're going to stick with the men's side here, although this will be a quicker one, Zachary Svida, the Svida man, as I like to call him, uh, Kalamazoo champion, the 16-year-old, 16-year-old. He is younger than my little brother. November 2002, listeners. That is crazy. Uh, He comes out and plays some of the most inspired tennis I have seen from someone that young, that young of a Kalamazoo champion, maybe the youngest since Donald Young competed. Uh, I think he was 16 back when he won Kalamazoo. Races out to a 6-3, 7-6 lead over lucky loser, uh, lucky loser Paolo Lorenzi, who I believe replaced Kevin Anderson, if not Milos Raonic, in the draw. Uh, unfortunately for Svita, uh, the Svita man, as I'm just going to refer to him here on in, Lorenzi's a challenger champion, maybe the winningest player on that level, and Svida's the type of player he feasts off of. So you could see throughout this entire match, uh, six and again, six, th- uh, three, six, six, seven, six, four, seven, six, six, two win for Lorenzi. He slowly wore Svida down. He knew I don't have to hit a ton of winners. I don't have to be a ton, you know, crazy flashy. I just have to out physical a sixteen-year-old kid. Now that being said. Let's talk about this fight, man, because boy, was he impressive, Matt. He was, man. I mean, just his effort. Look, the guy's 16. I mean, to come out there, again, it's very kind of similar to Jensen Brooksby, right? A young guy, just a lot goes into a main draw match at the U.S. Open. He gets the wild card, you know, earning it through his Kalamazoo victory. And those first two sets, man, I mean, it was crazy. I was like, this guy... This kid is actually going to pull it off. And you know what? Like you mentioned... He just, he, he couldn't last in a three out of five set match, four and a half plus hours or whatever it was exactly. I can't remember the exact time. I think it was over four and a half hours. You know, a uh, four hours, 20 minute match. Okay. 420. I mean, he was starting to cramp at the end and, and you know what? That's, can I just add, it wasn't just the end. He, the cramps for him serve wise started like midway through that third set and for a 16 year old. Yeah. To manage and weather his body through that sort of performance, no, he didn't win. But that he starts to cramp and he starts adjusting, going for more, taking balls earlier, working his way towards the net more. All the just the little different adjustments, the way he recognized Lorenzi wasn't trying to hurt him and the patience he showed, the willingness to make it this physical of a match— Again, this kid is 16. He's 5'9", 130, 130 pounds, and he's going five sets. You have to imagine by set four, he's in the 120 range because he's sweating that much, and he put together this performance while cramping. He has already turned pro, but as you mentioned, to do that at age 16, just remarkable. Yeah, and and like you said, there's so much room for growth here. I mean, he's going to grow into his body. Let's give the kid a couple more years, right? Like, let's see where he is when he's 18. I mean, he's going to grow. He's going to fill out. He's going to get bigger and stronger. 
And this kind of a match is just invaluable experience, man. You cannot buy that experience that he got today. He is going to learn from that. I promise you he's going to go back and watch that match. He is going to find things that he can improve on. And and when it all when it all goes down, man, I mean, this guy, I, I think he's going to be around for a while. He's still so young, and it, it could take him just a little while to really – breakthrough I know he's already turned professional so for him college isn't even an option at this point but it, it might take him you know a little while to break through into the super big time but once he does man I mean we just saw the effort the mental part of the game that part is there and so he just needs to to improve on on what he needs to work on get bigger and stronger and that's going to happen naturally yeah this kid man I, I mean I'm, I'm definitely a fan I was very impressed with his effort he makes 73% of his first serves, wins 57% of those, not great, but wins 55% of his second serves, comes to the net 79 times, again, at 5'9", 16 years old, to do that 79 times, to recognize your opponent is playing 10 feet behind the baseline, that's a sign of maturity, yep. earns himself 16 break points and converts seven of them, again, that's great, 79 winners against only 71 unforced errors only, but when you're cramping and it's a five-set match, again, and context, he had to start gunning the ball early. And just the way he can take balls early on the forehand, on the backhand, work short angles, work drop volleys. He's comfortable hitting overheads, which is something you see so many young players struggling with. This guy, no, Lorenzi lo- tried lobbing him a bunch of times because he is a smaller frame. And Svaja kept backing up, kept cranking off that overhead off the court. And then again, he is cramping, and yet he's moving 62.7 feet per point, uh, 21,752.9 feet in distance covered in total. That's again over three miles of sprints at 16 years old at the most pressure-packed moment of your young career. I mean, I'm not going to project upside because again, this is like his first taste of professional tennis really, but it's impossible to come away from this anything but impressed. Yeah, I, I completely agree, man. I mean, you said it. Plus eight winners to unforced under those circumstances that we've already talked about. To me, that's that's still super impressive. I mean, you know, not enough to win, okay, but this kid's 16, man. I mean, I think I think we're going to be seeing a little bit more of him. Yeah, no, no kidding. With him, with Yannick Sinner in the draw, again, yeah. it's, it's almost time for me to stop calling myself next gen because those people significantly younger than me. I need a breaking news update, please, uh, Wes. I'll give me a breaking news sound effect. We are recording this podcast, just so our listeners know, 9.59 Eastern time. So there are still matches on court, and I'll talk about that at the end. But just so you know, Maddie, Sumit Nagal, 6-4 first set over Roger Federer. Yep, I just saw that. That, uh... I'm a little upset, man. I want. I'm a little for our listeners. I'm a little upset. Yeah, and for our listeners, if Federer ends up losing this match, we will record a little five-minute interlude talking about it that will go on the front end of this. But we're hoping this is just a little one-set thing. Although it's deuce in the first game right now, this is not what I like to see. This is exactly how a recording schedule gets ruined. You're up till two a.m. on the first night because Federer goes the distance. All the you know, you're you're out of sleep the next two weeks. But that's a little breaking news for our listeners, just so you can see what it's like when we record one of these. That being said, let's move on to our next match, and this will be our last extensive breakdown. But really, uh, one of the first upsets of the day, particularly on the women's side, that set the tone for just how high a level, uh, how high the quality was going to be on the day. 
number 16, I believe, number 14 seed Angelique Kerber loses her first round set, uh, match to former world number one doubles player this earlier this season, Kiki Mladenovic, 7-5-0-6-6-4. I mean, you look at that 6-0 set, not indicative really of how close that first and third set were. And yet, you, you look at this again, much like Fognini, not that surprised that Kerber lost this first round match given her level in 2019, right, Matt? Yeah, she has not played well this year. I mean, I think she'd be the first to admit that to us. Uh, but uh, Mladenovic, man, I mean, that is a tough first round. I, I bet when Kerber saw the draw, she was kind of like, oh, great. <laughs> like, I'm on the 14th seed, and that's who I draw in the first round? I mean, that – talk about, like, a floater, like an unseeded, like, wild card that you don't want to play. I feel like that, that that's Kiki Mladenovic, right? <laughs> Somebody that you know can be – can play super high-level tennis. And and so, yeah, I mean, Kerber comes back and wins that second set. Oh, but it, it didn't matter, man. I mean, she just has not played well this year. Her game, she hasn't found it. Mladenovic did what she had to do. I mean, I can't say, <laughs> I got to be honest, I can't say that this was a shocking result. You know, if you're looking at first-round potential upset alerts, this one had to be on there, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny because you look at just the stats and it's so reflective of the way this match was played. When Mladenovic played her best in those first and third sets, she was taking it to Kerber. She was the one moving forward. And, you know, anytime you lose a 6-0 set, it's going to kind of skew things. But you look at this result in terms of looking set by set uh, for Mladenovic. She played her best in those first and third sets moving forward in total for her uh, 46 winners against 43 unforced errors. Three aces against seven double faults, not great. But she made 58% of her first serves, won 65% of those first serve points. Uh, again, that, that's skewed because you look specifically in uh, those first and third sets and the stats for Mladenovic, uh, they do get much better in particular. You look in the first set, she averages 63% on the first serve, wins 65% of those first serve points, 50% of her second serve points. In the third set, she made 68% of her first serves, wins 72% of her uh first serve point. So, you know, you look at the stats in total, it gets skewed, but those are the big numbers to look at. But for her, I think that she kept moving forward, kept putting the pressure on Kerber, who when you're not playing well, the last thing you want is to be having to hit passing shots the entire match. It was just, it was good game planning, good strategy, perfect execution for Mladenovic. I agree. 23 of 30 at the net. I mean, 77%. That's, that's solid, man. I mean, Kerber, I I just feel like that's how you have to play Kerber, right? I mean, she, you know what Kerber's going to do. There's no question. I mean, her game plan is her game plan every single match out pretty much. Mladenovic, when you've got the ability to, to finish points at the net, I feel like against Kerber, that's just, that's ideal. That's how, that's how you beat her, you know? No, absolutely. And look, again, we keep saying this, but for Mladenovic, first set, 20 winners, 14 unforced errors. Second set, 20 winners, 14 unforced errors. Those were the two. She she threw away the second right. set. So that she's able to play that sort of confident, aggressive tennis win for, I don't want to say it matters most, but for her when she's most locked in, that's promising. And, you know, once you knock the seat out of your section, as always, the draw opens up for her. She's got Pharaoh, the, a fellow Frenchman next. Feels like a very winnable match for her. Then she's got the winner of Van Utvenik and either Wang or Dalahide. We could see her in the third round. That's a testament to her performance today. 
Yep, that's, I mean, when you knock out those seeds, man, I mean, we see it all the time, right? The, the thing is, you steal their draw. So you beat the seed that one round, and then you're looking better and better after that. So, yeah, no, I could definitely, I mean, there's no question. I could see her, you know, third, uh, possibly fourth round. Yeah, I agree with you. Well, then let's move on uh, to some other matches. And again, no more stats from here on in because there's, I still think, what, 64 minus 5 is 59 other matches to cover. So we'll try and get through them as fast as possible. Let's talk about the upsets on the men's and women's side. Only three other seeds go down on the day. Although, again, I guess we don't really know with Roger Federer and Madison Keys still in action. Um, But... Feliciano Lopez knocks off the number 26 seed and young American Taylor Fritz, 3-6-6-4, Pablo Carrena Busta, a 6-3-4-6-7-6-6-3 winner over 19 seed Guido Pea, and Own Jabour, a 7-6-6-2 winner over number 27 seed Caroline Garcia. Any of those stick out to you as particularly surprising? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, two out of those three stick out as particularly <laughs> surprising for me. And that's Feliciano Lopez over Taylor Fritz and then Jabor over Caroline Garcia. Both of those, um, those are both tough, man. I mean, I just, I watched Taylor Fritz in that first set. He wins at 6-3 over Lopez. He was looking good. I mean, he was playing well. He was moving his shots around the court. Lopez was w- running around. I thought... Yeah, this is great. This is exactly how I thought this match would go. I fully expected Taylor Fritz to win there, and he just he kind of lost his way, man. I'm I, I feel bad. I I don't know. Like I don't even know what the right word is. Like I want to say that I'm disappointed because it was an opportunity. Taylor's played so well this year, you know, over the last few months to earn himself a seed. He comes in as the 26th seed. And, and when you do that, you know, you get a pretty good draw and then he just, he doesn't take advantage of it. It's just, it's tough because U.S. Open, home slam, I wanted to see him make a run. And he's got to be kicking himself because with Nishioka as his next match, that's a very winnable match for him. Yes. But in this match, I think it's something we continue to harp on. Taylor Fritz has so many skills. He's so powerful. But he's just not fleet of foot. And if you can hurt him the way Lopez was able to consistently hurt him, consistently keep him on his back foot throughout the entirety of the match, it's a problem. There's a certain level where if you hit the ball too hard, and look, Taylor Fritz, uh, another one like Opelka, where when he plays well, what's so great is the match is on his racket. But when he has to start playing a little defense, when he's you know put in that position, when his other opponent can his opponent can dictate a little bit, the defensive shift it's just not quite there. I just Lopez, man. Yes, he's a tricky opponent, tricky lefty. Loves to slice, loves to move forward and finish at the net. But God, I just feel like for Fritz, like you, the match. He just should have been able to to counter that a little bit more and just get stay on the offensive because in the first set, that's what he was doing. I mean, he really, it didn't even look like he was playing all that aggressively and he was still pushing Lopez around the court, you know, going side to side. Lopez was scampering around back there, man. It was, it was great. And then I don't know what happened. Fritz just kind of like let his foot off the gas a little bit. I, I don't know. He like relaxed. I, it just... I don't know. It's a tough one for me, man, because like you mentioned, that draw, it was there for him to make a bit of a run, and I just, I was hoping with the way that he had played this year that we, we would see that at the U.S. Open, but, I mean, not meant to be. Yeah, I'm, it's unfortunate for him, but again, 
focus on the positives for people ready to dump on him. Three finals since the week before Wimbledon in Eastbourne. Two finals in the run-up to this, Atlanta and Los Cabos. He's displayed a good level. The 26 is by his name for a reason. And yeah, as disappointing as this was, you look, you know, he still has more at the end of 2019. But overall, this loss doesn't change my thoughts on his season, which is tremendously positive. Yeah, I I would agree. It's just, man, I always put a lot of stake in the majors. Like, it's important, I feel like, to do well at the majors. I had no idea. You you put stake in the majors? It's important to do well there? That's what I'm saying, man. Look, it, and, and we can talk. Yes, look, his it, it's been a great year. I, I, I admitted that, and I, I agree. And and this doesn't change the overall outlook, but you've got to perform in the majors, man. And and he's earned his seed, and it just it didn't happen here in the U.S. Well, can I just say, I think the, the takeaway for him is, hey, Atlanta, Los Cabos finals, making both of them great. Maybe only play one of those next year. Just taper off the body. I know he had a comfortable first-round losses uh, in, I believe, Montreal and Cincy, but you could argue those were a testament to him being fatigued at this point, and he may argue otherwise, but just it's the things like with Dominic Team, like you used to look at the way he scheduled like a madman. And for Fritz, he wants to accumulate points. He's young. He's hungry. I get it. The, The summer hard court's his best part of the season. But as you mentioned, the Grand Slams, you've got to be ready for. And he's better than this first-round loss. And that's why, I suppose, if you're bitter at all, that would be the reason. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Of course, we're not going to do a breakdown, but then we'll spend five minutes on Taylor Fritz. But just looking at those other upsets real quick, PCB over Paya, given the way Paulo Carreno has played this summer, given that Paya, he's played okay, but not as well. I think he's got a couple of wins since Wimbledon and obviously great this year, but that not a shocking upset to me. No, I completely agree. I mean, you know, PCB, man, I mean, the guy can play well, former top 10 player, so not not a huge shock. And then Jabour over Garcia, as we've mentioned. If you're a 27 seeded in the, in the women's draw this year, that means nothing to me. Well, Garcia has been a top 10 player, though. Remember, I mean, it, it hasn't been that long. She was up to like seven in yeah. the world, I believe. A, you lot know? Of her, a lot of tournaments for her, though, since Wimbledon on clay. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Scheduling. That's, so again, and Jabour's been very good, a sleeper as well, who's had a pretty nice summer, so don't uh, forget about that. Certainly earned her upset here, but let's kind of breeze through the rest of the results. We'll start with the women's, and we'll do this in clunks. Let's start with the top 10 seeds that played today. Madison Keys still on court right now, as I mentioned, uh, playing, I believe, Doi. Uh, she is, or Doi, she is currently, no, that's 10-15. I think that might be after uh, the Nicolas Jerry match or whoever, so whatever men's match is still on there because a couple of those are running late. But so that's our last top 10 seed still to play. You look at the ones that finished today. Number three seed Pliskova, a 7-6-7-6 winner over Martin Kova. I'm sure she's thrilled to be out in straight sets. Uh, Svitolina, 6-1-7-5 over former world junior number one, former cracked interviews guest, I should mention as well. Whitney Osigwe, if you want to learn more about her, go listen to that. And then of course, the what was billed up as the primetime showdown on the women's side, number eight seed Serena Williams versus Maria Sharapova. Serena giving Sharapova the business, which I think we all expected. 6-1, 6-1 of those top 10 uh, seeds. Maddie, any crazy results? No, really not crazy results <laughs> at all. I mean, I will say, you know, we expected Serena to win, but I'll admit I wasn't expecting that level. I, we haven't seen Serena play at that level in a long time, man, and you will never, I mean, you can't say anything. There is no question that's the best she's played in a very long time. She was, she was awesome. I mean, if yeah. she, if she, if she could somehow, I don't think it's going to happen, but if she could sustain that level, she'll win this tournament. 
She's hungry. She did not. I, you can tell that Wimbledon finals loss does not sit well with her because it wasn't a good performance. And that's how the great ones do. They respond to that sort of adversity. And yeah, if this is any sign of her level to come, look out rest of the draw yep. because she is there to play. But you look at the top, you know, the 10 to 20 seed range. They all did well on the women's side, which is kind of shocking given how many upsets we expected. Sevastova, the 12 seed, 3-3 three and three over Bouchard. Conta, 6-1, 4-6, surviving Kasakina. Chang, uh, six, four, uh, Chang Wang, a 6-4, 6-4 winner over Dalahide. And the number 20 seed, Sophia Kennan, 7-6, 6-3 over Vandeweghe. Anything on that group? No, nope. Those are all. Those all went as expected, at least to me. If I told you Sophia Kennan and Joe Conta, this is a little preview for possible that they both make quarterfinals with that, and I don't know if they're in the same section, but would that shock you? Ooh, yeah, that would shock both of them. Yeah, I, that'd shock me a little bit. I, I don't think both of them are going to get there. One of them, yes. Right. No, that's what I meant. One of those two, yes. Oh, one of those two. Oh no, that w- I thought you meant both. No, of them. sorry, one of the um, two. One of the two? Nope, that wouldn't shock me. Nope. I agree with you. See, a nice little warm-up for us. Uh, get the miscommunication out of the way before the real game start. All right, the rest <laughs> of the seeds. C over uh, Sepulova, 6-4, Sakari over Georgie, 6 one 6 A little fun exchange between them again at the net on the handshake. My dark horse sleeper pick for this tournament, number 32 seed Diana Yastremska. Gives me a little heart attack, but ends up surviving the Nicolescu wave, 6-4, Number 33 seed Zhang, a 6-2, winner over Golubic, and that leads us into the rest of the women's results. Again, I'll try and run through these as fast as possible. Venus, a winner, 6-1-6-0. Lauren Davis, a 7-5-6-2 winner. Young American Katie McNally saying, hey, don't forget about me, a 6-4-6-1 winner today. Peng over Lepchenko, Sasnovich over Brady, Bokvatse over Para. Iga Swatik, another sneaky dark horse pick over Jorovic, Mukova, a winner in straight sets, Alexandrova, Sigamund, Zhu, Bogdan, Peterson, Gasparian, Farah, Kuzmova, all winners today. Anyone in that group, Manny, you want to talk about in particular? I don't think so. I mean, we can hit on McNally real quickly. I, I thought that was a tricky first-round matchup. I mean, Bashinsky is a is a tricky kind of player. She'll slice that forehand a lot. I didn't know how that match was going to go. McNally, I mean, she's really showing that. She, I mean, she can play with the best players, man. I'm I'm excited about her, no question about it. But unfortunately, she uh, I believe she plays Serena next. And if we, if we see Serena at the level we did tonight, uh, probably won't go so well. But, you know, reg- no nothing kid. you can do. I mean, that's, that's you know, nothing she can do about it. So, I mean, if that happens, it is what it is. Good tournament. Isn't it, isn't it kind of a thrill at that point for Katie McNally? You get the big paycheck, and then you're like, and now I get to play Serena as exactly. well? Like, I feel like that's a—not only did she get that first slam win, you know, off her chest— but now she gets Serena, too. To me, that'd be pretty cool. No question about it. That'll be probably, I'm assuming, a night match. Um, you know, the crowd's going to be going nuts. It'll be fun, regardless. That screams on your list of matches to watch when you do the podcast tomorrow with Jamie. Yep. I am certain that will make an appearance. <laughs> but all right, well, yeah, with that in mind, let's run through the men's results quickly as well. Uh, we talked about the upsets already, so we'll start with the top 10 seeds, who, again, is a successful day for them. Djokovic, oh, again, maybe not with Roger Federer, although I believe 
Let's, let's give him a quick run. Oh, Fetter up 3-0 in the second uh-huh, set. Yeah, just a yes. little blip, as we expected. But so you look at the top uh, 10 seeds to a finish. Djokovic, Medvedev, Nishikori, a perfect 8-0 on sets today. Djokovic, 6-4, 6-1, 6-4 over Carbeo Spania. Medvedev, a little cranky at first. Got a nice massage on his left butt for everyone to see. <laughs> but knocks off Gunaswari in 6-4, 6-1, 6-2. Nishikori, surprisingly the one receiving an injury default. He wins 6-1, 4-1 retirement over Uh, Anything particular about those three stand out to you today? No, business as usual, man. I'm not worried about any of these guys. They all look look good. My full plan was to spend no more than 30 seconds, so I appreciate that. All right, yeah, let's move on to our next range again. These are the interesting players because are any of them going to break through Uh, with this Fonini exit as well, the number 11 seed going out. Number 12 seed, Chorich, a straight set winner. Gofen drops a set but threw in four over Mutet. Basilashvili, circled by many on upset alert against Fuksovics, a five-set winner, 6-3 in the fifth. Any of those guys in particular? For me, it was Chorich today, that he hasn't played that well. Plays a really tight first set against Donskoy, then really started uh, carrying, you know, starting to carry the match, started to pull away, that he's able to show that level. That's encouraging for me moving forward. Yeah, no question. I think Chorich served very well in that match against Donskoy. After he snuck out the first set, um, he, he got the serve going, and, you know, his his ground stroke game behind that um, propelled him 3-0. I mean, great win for him. The one, Basilashvili, man, I believe he was down 3-1 in that fifth set to Fuksovics. I'm, I'm almost certain I saw that correctly. He was on the ropes, I mean, a couple of times it seemed like. And for him to come back, I mean, impressive. I know he was seated, but like you mentioned, that was big-time upset alert, and I thought he actually was going to lose that. For him to pull that out, I mean, good good win. Look, we will talk about this in a moment, but Basilishvili is the only seed left in that little fourth-round section. That's Opelka, Kopfer, Brooksby, Basilishvili. I'm sure he feels good, but... I'm sure Riley Opelka looks at that draw now and he's like, mmm. Yep. Those eyes are wide open. But we'll talk about that. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a second. Moving on to the 20 seed range. Stan Wawrinka just finished up his 6 3 7 6 4 6 6 3 win over the young Italian and tennis Twitter sensation, Yannick Sinner. Luca Pui, a four set winner over Cole Schreiber. Lajevic, three sets over Darcisse. Christian Guerin survives a five set scare of a first round match against Chris Eubanks, 6 3 in the fifth there. Uh, they split tiebreakers throughout the course of that match as well. I mean, all of those interesting results. And it just speaks to the fact that, again, the top three, really freaking good. Guys, four to maybe 10, a little gap but there. And then players 20 through 120. Like, it really just depends on the day. Yeah, exactly. Depends on the day. Depends on the draw, right? I mean, And I, the surface. And the surface. I think Pui's win over Kohlschreiber was a good one for him. I mean, that is a tricky opponent in the first round, right? I mean, that's always a guy that we talk about. We've seen him match up with Djokovic in the past in the first round, and we're always like, ooh, you know, he could pose some problems. So I think Pui, after the year that he's had to get through that one, good result for him. And then... Yeah, Garen over Eubanks, man. I was really hoping Chris uh, could pull that one out. I was, mm. I was so hoping, you know, for Chris. I'm a big fan of Chris, obviously. Uh, great kid, love him. I was hoping that he was gonna, he was gonna do it, man. But he just couldn't get over the hump. I mean, it was so close. But again, for him, I think the experience is invaluable. I mean, he can, he can take a lot out of that, even in a loss. Uh, so hopefully, he won't be too down about it. 
Absolutely earned that wild card with those five sets he played. I mean, yes. you can't deny he deserved to be in that match. And look, we could do breakdowns on all of these matches uh, because that's the fun of a Grand Slam. If you can't talk about them, why are you talking about tennis? But yeah, the Eubanks, the sinners of the world who lose these close matches but are young guys gaining their first slams experiences, as we mentioned with Svitaman, and as you know, we've mentioned with Jensen Brooksby and just Katie McNally and you know Whitney Osigwe, it applies to all of them. Just getting reps at the slams matters. Yep. And it's good it's a good rep for Eubanks. Yep, no question about it. He'll he'll be yeah. back. Yeah, for sure. And you look, you know, now you start moving. Uh, you know, I try and order my things so we can talk about the the young guys in subject clunks. The unseeded results, Alex Dimenauer, a guy a lot of players have circled, potential third, fourth round of threat given his draw, four-set win over Air Bear. Kasmanovic, again, his draw wide open with this Fonini exit as well. Uh, or maybe he's in a different portion, but still a guy a lot of people have circled for the third round. Uh, he straight sets over Laszlo Jur, Bradley Klon, Dennis Kudla, both American winners today in their first round matches for Kudla in particular. He was down, I believe, a break 5-3 in the third set before coming back to win 3-6-6-1-7-6-6-1 over Janko Tipserovich, who I believe is retiring after this. So, you know, I'm sure that was just a tough match to play overall, but good results for the American men there. American men losing today. Ugh, I can't believe I'm even saying it. Paulo Cuevas, 6-4-7-5-7-6 over Jack Sock. I don't know why I said Jack Sock would win in my bracket. Probably the dumbest thing Ooh. I've done. Hey, great shot to me. Come on, man. Yeah, just... Uh, you know better. Yeah, I mean, again, of those early... Res- oh, Sokka loser, Londero over Query in four sets. Nishioka. That one. Yeah, Nishioka over Giron in four sets. I guess of the American results, Klan, Kudla, Sock, Query, Giron. Any uh, really stick out to you? Oh, and Fritz, Opelka, too. I mean, Sam Query, man, I, I look, it was a tough draw. I, I assumed that he was at least going to get to Djokovic in the second round. And, and you know, maybe I overlooked Londero a little bit, but I just assumed, I mean, Sam Query at the U.S. Open on hard courts playing a, a clay court guy. I just, there was no way that I really thought Sam Query was going to lose that match. And I, I don't know, man. To me, this is it's a bad result. And, and again, I had him losing in the second round, obviously, to Novak Djokovic. But at least, come on, Sam, get there. I mean, just get to the second round at least. I don't know. This one, I, I wasn't so happy about this one for Sam. All those other ones, I mean, Sock, obviously, I, I knew he was going to lose. Um, Giron, tough, tough match against Yoshi Nishioka. I mean, we know the problems that he can pose. So that's not completely shocking. And then... Uh, Klon and Kudla, man, I mean, those, those are two good wins, but I can't say that I'm, you know, surprised by those. I think those are two guys that, you know, have earned their place and, and they played well and won. So for me, out of all those that you mentioned, Sam Query is, is definitely the most shocking slash disappointing to me. Yeah, I, I agree with you. A guy I had winning his first round match and that he didn't was surprising because I was looking forward to him versus Djokovic. And, yep. you know, no disrespect to Landero, who gave a very funny post uh, match answer to the lovely Blair Henley. Uh, you know, uh, Landero, not the best at English, and he kind of joked about it to the crowd. So that was fun to watch. But still, interesting day for the Americans. Good result for Yoshi Nishioka on the flip side. Great to see him take that Cincinnati momentum, get healthy after having food poisoning, come out, get a first round win. You know, he's got a very winnable next match as well. I believe he is playing. Uh, you look at his portion of the draw. He has now, I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm sorry, there's some things still unfilled. So it's really on the fly here. He now matches up 
with Feliciano Lopez. So, you know, Taylor Fritz out, Nishioka, a lefty as well as Lopez. That's going to be a very fun match. Uh, So certainly one to keep an eye on. But you move through it. Dominic Kopfer, our guest on today's mini break, kind enough to talk to us before today's first round match. A 6-4-7-6-5-7-7-5 winner over Jaume Munar. Kopfer was down a break in that second set, got the break back at 5-4, ends up winning the breaker there. Again, loses a close third, but comes back hot in the fourth. Great result for him. He is now, I believe, live ranking inside the top 100 for the first time in his career. Obviously huge. Uh, Hubie Hurkacz, some young guys who lost today. Hubie Hurkacz down in five to Jeremy Shardy, 6-4. You got to wonder for Hubie playing Winston-Salem. It's probably net benefit for him to get his first ATP title there. But I mean, given how many matches he played with the rain delays to play a day later, best of five against Shardy. I mean, you could just see at the end his legs were cooked. Yeah, tough one for him. I mean, obviously, I, usually guys that win Winston-Salem use that as kind of a springboard, you know, for the rest of their year and even into the next year. But it's just, I mean, it's tough to come back, you know, a day you know, a day or two later and, and play a guy, a veteran like Shardy, three out of five, you know, six, four in the fifth. It went, it went the distance, but, you know, for Hubie, I mean, uh, we can probably chalk that one up to a little bit of fatigue. I think he'll be fine. Yeah, that's fair. And again, you look at it for him, net benefit to get that first ATP title, yeah, in my opinion. Yeah. Even even with his first round loss, uh, you know he's still going to be solidly in the top 50, I believe, at the end of the season. He'll be in that Masters range, get into whatever events he wants come 2020. And given the growth we've seen from him, that's what really matters from this year, is that he'll have the opportunity to take another step next year. Yeah. Yeah, and then again, you're ending the rest of these results. Bray over Nori, 7-6-6-4-4-6-6-7-7-6. Fun to see the fifth set tiebreaker back in action. Um, <laughs> yeah, that that hurts for Nori, obviously. Evans over Manorino in four. Delian over Quan. Zoomher over Bentry. And then my guy, Grigor Dimitrov, a four-set winner over Andrea Seppi. Any final thoughts on these men's results? Uh, I, Grigor got a win, man. I'm, I'm happy for him. I'm, I'm surprised I did not have him winning. Uh, it, it's, they're hard to come by for Grigor these days, it seems. I mean, wins are rare for him. So, uh, Seppi's another tricky guy, a guy that's been around what seems like forever, very consistent player. Uh, the kind of guy that I thought could give Grigor some problems, but he got through it. So that's uh, a step in the right direction for him. Yeah, and real quick on the Hubie Hurt catch, I see now career high thirty one in the live ranking. Yeah. So yeah, I think he's feeling good no matter what. Yep. You look at Dominic Kofor, I lied. He's up to one oh nine now uh, in the live ranking. Still pretty solid for him. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, he'll be right on that cusp of getting direct entry into the main draw. And then the matches that have yet to finish. Uh, oh, one more to add. Madrasek, a 6-4 in the fifth winner over Nikolas Jari. That just wrapped up. Yuri Vesely in the fourth set, but up two sets to love, uh, two sets to one, and a break at 4-3 on Ricardus Barankis. You have to like Yuri Vesely with the size there over Barankis to close that one out. And then, as I mentioned, Roger Federer still on court, up 5-1 now in the second set after dropping the first against Nagal. So if anything crazy, we will, uh, crazy happens, we will throw something on the front of this, as I mentioned. But if not, that's day one in the books. And with that in mind, I want to quickly preview uh, day two. We're going to be doing this format every day, and we apologize for the length of this episode. But first round, bear with us, 64 matches. We tried to talk about as many of them as possible, if not at least list the results. We'll limit it here, Matt. Three men's matches, three women's matches you're excited for tomorrow. 
Yeah, three men's. I mean, I there's really two that I'm I'm most interested in. Sitsipas against Rublev. That next gen battle, I think, could be awesome. As soon as it, all in, as soon as the draw all in. came out, the chips. Yeah, I don't care about Shapovalov FAA. I do care well, about it, but if I'm a poker player, that Sitsipas Rublev, ugh, all in. I agree, but my my next one. Funny you bring up Shapovalov and FAA because that was going to be my second one. I mean, there's no way I'm missing it, right? I mean, the two Canadians, great friends. Uh, it's just that's a match that I can't miss. It's going to be too good. It's popcorn for me. So those are my main two. If you want me to pick a third, this is kind of like an honorable mention, but I'll probably watch it anyway. Nick Kyrgios against Steve Johnson. I that mean, screams Matt Stachowiak. It, it does, right? But it's Kyrgios. You know, something's probably interesting is going to happen in that match, and, and I'm just going to be rooting hard for Stevie Johnson to get that win. I mean, I think he's playing better. You know, as of late, he had to dip down to the challengers, but I think he's got some confidence, and that's a match. We don't really know which Nick Kyrgios we're going to get. If we get the awesome Nick Kyrgios, Steve will lose. If we get crazy Nick Kyrgios that doesn't know what's going on around him, Steve could win. So that's just kind of one that you got to watch out for no, no matter what, but that, those would be mine. I agree. The only ones I'd add, Berrettini, Gasquet. I figured that would be a staple for you because it's your boy, Berrettini. Well, yeah. I'm just expecting him to get through that one comfortably, though. Yeah, let's see. I mean, not a lot of match experience since Wimbledon. He's been banged up, and so he played a lot in the first two-thirds of the yeah. season. So, you know, the young players pacing yourself. It's something you learn as you accumulate experience in the pros. Um, the other one, this is an Alex Gruskin special. We talked about it on the preview, so I won't say it here. Uh, if you want to go hear more about my thoughts, go listen to those preview episodes. But he on Chung Ernesto Escobedo. Mm. I don't care if it's a straight set match. I will watch every minute of that one. <laughs> Replay live at least twice. Um, but yeah, so I'm very excited for that match. Let's switch to the women. What are your three? Yep. All right, here. I'll, I'll give you two, and I'll let you fill in with the rest. My, <laughs> my main one is going to be Sabalenka against Azarenka. I think that's just – that's uh, as soon as you see the draw, that's one that sticks out immediately. Azarenka is an unseeded player going against one of my favorite players on the WTA Tour, Arena Sabalenka. I think that – I mean, there's going to be some hard hitting in that one, man. It's going to be fun. I don't know which way it's going to go. Uh, so that one is number one for me. And number two, how about American Allison Risk against 24th seed Garbine Muguruza? I think that could be sneaky upset alert. Risk, mm. we saw we saw a run she had at Wimbledon, and then she followed that up a little bit. She's played better on the hard courts as of late. So I think I think she's confident right now, man. I look for a possible upset alert there, and I'll, that's one that I'll definitely be watching. Those two to me... I will have my eye on the most. Well, here's the thing. Muguruza lost once, and she's only played once since Wimbledon. Yeah. But it was 6-4 in the third to Maddie Keys after two 7-6 first set uh, sets. and Or 7-6 sets, and you know, Keys goes on to win Cincinnati. So in context, not a bad match. I agree. Both of these players have been very good since, you know, just— uh, or maybe not Muguruza, given her prior level, but both of these players playing at a high level. It's going to be an entertaining match. The other ones I would add on, and I should have plugged this when you mentioned Steve Johnson, we recently had both him and Katie Volley, and that's on the Cracked Interviews podcast. So if you want to hear from those two U.S. Open main draw players, maybe listen to the pods as you're playing. It's perfect. You don't want to listen to the commentary 
team of ESPN, you want to listen to our brand new Tennis Channel Podcast Network content. Uh, so go give those listens. But Volley Nuts, I don't expect her to beat Bianca Andreescu, but throw her in the mix with McNally, Goff, Anisimova, just Osigwe, all of these young, talented Americans. Haley Baptiste, you know, she's the San Diego champion. I'm always going to watch that. And Bianca Andreescu, circled by many to win this event. So again, I want to see her level. I'm all in on that. Simona Halep, Nicole Gibbs, that's going to be a lot of fun. I'm always a fan of watching Nicole Gibbs play. And Simona, another player, given that she won Wimbledon, why can't she win this one? Get one step closer to the career grand slam. And then Daniel Collins versus Petra Herzog. I just, after Collins' semifinal run at the Australian Open, you know, it came from nowhere. So why couldn't another one come from nowhere? It would just be, I want to see her level because she's very streaky. And if she brings it from the first match, who knows what we're going to see over the next two weeks. Yeah, no, that's definitely fair. Collins is always a dangerous player. Um, again, Polona Hertzcog is is her opponent, not Petra. Um, oh, but did I say Petra? My yeah, bad. Polona Hertzcog. But yeah, I mean, that's that's a tricky matchup. So I'm with you, man. Interesting ones to watch for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, with that in mind, again, this podcast on the longer side, as will tomorrow. Oh, it'll be interesting to see how Jamie negotiates a first round. I'm like, I feel like he'll be fighting on the inside. He's like, there are matches to talk about, but I gotta stay 30 minutes. I maybe he gives himself a little 15 minute buffer tomorrow. That would be a. Uh, Interesting to see. That's a you guys problem. But I want to do a quick round of the game. We always play when it's you and I on the podcast together. That, of course, Matt, is a round of possible. Or, Alex, you're f***ing crazy. Westoff, give me the sound effect, please. So, again briefer version than I expected because we spent a little longer on the matches, but we alluded to it earlier. You talked about Riley Opelka, and let's just look at his portion of the draw real quick. Now that he's knocked off the seed in number 11 seed Fabio Fagnini, he's got Dominic Kopfer, who, you know, this is his second slam main draw after getting a wild card into Wimbledon earlier this year. Then he's got the potential winner of Brooksby and Basilishvili. Neither of those guys with their seasons or experience going to, you know, scare Riley Opelka given his level. And then you you know then he'd have eventually Medvedev so you know getting to the quarterfinals another you know hurdle on its own but Riley Opelka possible or Alex you're effing crazy that we see him make that second week I'm not gonna say possible man I'm gonna say probable Wow I that would be my pick right now that would be yeah. that would be my pick I, I think I think he will be there I really do I, I like him in his next match. I, I really do. I, I I think this is there for Riley. I think this is his chance, and I think he's going to do it. Fourth round, yep, give it to me. Yep. Yeah, I, I agree with you, and for all the reasons I said earlier in our preview pods, but the draw has broken beautifully for him, and you needed to just be aware of what Riley's shown in 2019. He is very capable in a three out of five set. If he can maintain this sort of composure like he did against Fonini today, you know, even if he loses a set to cope for with his serve or, you know, eventually a set to Basilishvili, which his serve, he can just win matches. Uh, you know, three out of five benefits him because it's so hard to break him multiple times. So it's going to be really fun to see how his draw opens up. I told, you know, for our next one, I told you I was going to throw this at you because this was a take from our preview pods given the way his draw looks given his opponent he lines up with Grigor Dimitrov a four set winner today who now matches up with number 12 seed Borna Choric who 
we really haven't seen much since he uh, injured himself before Wimbledon. You look at this section of the draw. Uh, Chor- if Dimitrov can get by Chorich, he would play the winner of Mad Shrek, who is, again, the lucky loser filling in against Nicholas Jerry, who ended up winning today, or Paulo Cuevas, who beat Jack Sock. That would be Dimitrov's potential third-round match. Possible or Alex, you're effing crazy. We will see Grigor Dimitrov in the second week of the U.S. Open. You're crazy. No chance. He's losing to Borna Chorich. That'll okay, so that's possible. But no, but no, ta- no. That's that's happening. <laughs> that's I happening. Mean, what has Chorich done that gives you that sort of confidence recently? Nothing. But it, he doesn't <laughs> have to do anything. All he has to do is step out on the court. That's uh, all he Roth- has to do. Rothman said something similar. I'll let our listens in a little behind-the-scene action. I texted you about this Grigor result for Seppi today, and as I texted you, he uh, Seppi got a break back in the third set, and then, of course, Grigor wins the next true, so <laughs> to you. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you're not wrong. I get it. I guess what I'm saying. I'm just saying when it happens, remember you heard it here first. That's fine. That's fine. But you know what? When he loses to Borna Chorich in straight sets, remember where <laughs> you heard it first. Yeah. All right, that's fair. But then, all right, let's look quickly at, I mean, uh, the women's draw. I just have one for you. And again, the women's draw is so wide open. But you look at just some of the players still left in the draw, the upsets we had today. That's really what I want to focus on is just looking forward from what we found today. You look at this top section of the draw, Elena Svitolina versus Venus Williamson. Uh, Venus Williamson. Venus Williams. Then you've got Pedersen versus Yastremska on that top portion. Here's my question to you. The winner of that section of the draw will make the semifinals. And just so you know, the other seeds in this portion, Sophia Kennan, who won uh, today, Madison Keys, the 10 seed playing right now, number 16 seed, Joe Conta, uh, and number three seed, Caroline Pliskova. Uh, but what I'm asking, Svitolina, Williams, Pedersen, Yastremska, one of those four will make the semis. Uh, I think you're crazy. I think you're crazy. You're, I think You're all in on Pliskova? Uh, yeah, I mean, I just, I just don't see it, man. I just don't see it. I mean, in it look, WTA tour, almost anything's possible, right? I mean, that's what's kind of interesting about the WTA. Almost anything really is possible. But I, I've got to go with your crazy man. I just, I, I don't see it happening. I really don't. I don't think it's gonna happen. I just, I Maddie Keys has played really well. She's in that section, as is Kennan, as I mentioned, and Pliskova, yeah. who would be the threats to. Uh, get to that semifinal, but you look at the amount of callousing that's going to go. You know these players will be hardened after getting through these portions of the draw for Svitolina Osigwe, then a Venus Williams who just won six one six zero and is playing some great tennis since Cincy. I saw Diana Yastremska in Cincy. I've said it before; she's my dark horse pick for this tournament to make a deep run. Um, I just think to get battle tested that much that early, uh, heading into the second week, it's a benefit. So I really like this portion of the draw. I just don't know, man. I mean, Joe Conta is in that section as well. That's another player that could be kind of scary. I just, I don't know. I don't know. I think you're crazy. I think you think I'm crazy regardless. But uh, (laughs) yes, I I agree with you. And that seems like a perfect place to wrap up. Again, if you missed any of the action from day one, you want to hear our interviews with players. You want to just know what's going on as you're watching the year's final Grand Slam. Be sure to check out our website, CrackedRackets.com. If you haven't heard, recently joined and launched the new Tennis Channel Podcast Network. So to be a part of that group, super exciting for us. Uh, You know, we've had a ton of good content in honor of the launch. We hope you guys give that all a check all of that out. 
Shout, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, this podcast, the Great Shot podcast, the Cracked Interviews podcast. Like, rate, subscribe, review. Send us your thoughts. What are the matches you guys are watching all day that you want us to talk about on the mini break? We'd be happy to break down matches in specific if you'd like. But with that being said, uh, any final thoughts, Maddie? Oh, I should actually say shout out, as always, to the super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, who have a f***ing editing job to do and who I promise we will be keeping busy all week long. But with that said, any final thoughts? This is just a start, man. I got to go crack another Mountain Dew. <laughs> Over under 45 minutes on the pod with Jamie tomorrow. Uh, I will take the under. Hey, wow, wow. I will take the under on that. <laughs> Knowing Jamie, I'll, I'll go the under. I could be wrong. It'll be interesting. I'm excited to listen to it, Maddie. But with that being said, for my lovely co-host, Matt the Cracks Dekowiak, for our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westhoff, and for our entire team at Crack Rackets, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Maddie, what do we tell the listeners? That's a break. And we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>